RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill, coming to you from a special Wednesday edition of Beyond the Badge. I apologize for not being on the air on yesterday, but I was tied up covering a lot of news uh, that's been going on in the country, uh, both locally here in Atlanta, Georgia, and on Fox News. Some changes that the uh, Attorney General made with the Collaborative Reform Initiative that I'll talk about here briefly. Also, of course, we know St. Louis has been uh, pretty much in an uproar after the acquittal of an officer who killed a black man back in 2011. I want to talk about that, but I want to start out here locally in Atlanta. Uh, There was a shooting uh, by police, Georgia Tech police, of an individual by the name of Scout Schultz. He was 21 years old, Georgia Tech student. Um... Let me give you a little history of what happened, and then I'll break down the case. There's been protests. There's been police cars being uh, set on fire. There's been uh, police officers injured here in Atlanta uh, based on this shooting. Now, first, I will say Scout Schultz is a white male, but here's what happened. Georgia Tech police uh, responded to a 911 call around 11.15 p.m. Saturday evening reporting a suspicious person. Uh, that was walking around with a gun and a knife, right? or a knife and possibly a gun. So the description was male white with long blonde hair, white t-shirt, and blue jeans. So, of course, police respond to the scene, as they're supposed to, when they're dealing with someone that may be armed and dangerous. And I apologize, you have to excuse my voice again, I've been covering a lot of news, which requires a lot of talking. So my voice is kind of scratchy right now. Uh, But anyway, police arrive. They encounter this individual, this white male with long hair, white T-shirt, and blue jeans. And he's holding uh, what appears to be a knife. So you can look up the video yourself. Uh, You know, he's standing there. Police are giving multiple, multiple verbal commands to drop the knife, drop the knife. He approaches one officer the officer kind of retreats which really he does not have to he kind of backs up gets behind a little bit of cover and again they're trying to coach him into dropping the knife dropping the knife now of course this is caught on cell phone video so of course you don't get every angle so at some point you can see uh scout walking towards another officer that is out of view because there's a tree Uh, blocking the view again it's cell phone video it's not body cam video so you can see him approaching this officer and again you can hear the officer saying stop stop he stops for a minute and then continues to approach this officer and then you could actually see the muzzle flash uh, through the outline of the tree and scout Schultz is shot and he later dies at the hospital Now, given what police knew at the time, man with a knife and possibly a gun, and based on what I saw in that video, they acted justifiably. 
Now, the family has gone out and got one of these attorneys that is always involved in these shootings around Atlanta. He's a black attorney who always kind of leads the family down false hope. And they held a press conference, and they're showing the actual knife. And it was one of those, what do you call it, those leathermen, those handymen, those multi-purpose tools that have, you know, like the, the screwdriver, the wine opener, uh, the knife, and all of that. So the attorney is saying, oh, it was not really a knife, and he pulls out this big, long 12-inch blade during the press conference saying, see, this is a knife, and this is uh, overreaction by the police, blase, 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 blase. Now, my argument to that, and I was on the local CBS uh, station here in Atlanta, my argument to that is, regardless of how long that blade is on that handyman tool, the fact is that it's still an edge weapon. The fact is that an edged weapon is deadly force. And as I've said time and time again, police meet deadly force with deadly force. Because, of course, attorneys and all these people that don't know policing are saying they should have pepper sprayed them. They should have tased them. Well, first of all, Georgia Tech police don't carry tasers. I don't understand why people don't realize every department in this country does not equip their officers with tasers. And those that even do, not every officer on the department will have a taser. Now, to the point about pepper spray. And as I told the reporter and I showed her videos, I personally have pepper sprayed individuals that were either mentally ill, under the influence, or whatever, or just maybe Superman. I've actually sprayed them with my pepper spray and they've just looked at me and said, don't do that again. It had no effect on them. And again, I wouldn't have done that if someone had a knife or a gun because that's deadly force. So, of course, the family, and I assume it's documented, the family is saying that this individual is mentally ill. He was, uh, what's the term? I don't know, where, where you don't identify as one gender or another. Um, but I think he was heavily involved in the LBGT community here in Atlanta. So I'm sure that probably had... Uh, some identity issues going on there. If you look at his, his picture, he did kind of favor a female. So although people say it's accepted in this country and all of that good stuff, I'm sure there were some uh, identity issues there. I'm sure people were picking on him there. Uh, there were indications that he had attempted suicide a few times in the past. So the family saying, well, he was mentally ill and police should have reacted different. Well, again, as I've said time and time again, Police don't know when someone is mentally ill, right? People want police to be Dr. Phil. They want them to be super nanny. They want them to be a taxi driver. They want them to be all these things that police aren't. And given the fact that he was mentally ill, and let's just say the police knew he was mentally ill, that does not negate the fact that he approached the officer in a way that a reasonable officer and a grand jury, because I'm sure this will go to the grand jury, he approached that officer in a manner that made that officer believe there was an imminent threat against his life because he was coming at him with an edged weapon. And just because someone gets shot doesn't necessarily mean they're going to stop moving 
People assume you get shot once you just drop to the ground. No, 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 no. I've seen people get shot four, five, six times, and the fight is still on. And for those that say you could have shot him in the leg, well, he can still charge at you with that knife in his hand and stab you. You should have shot the knife out of his hand. Yeah, good luck with that because this is in the movies. So even if the officer knew he was mentally ill, it does not negate the fact that if the officer is met with deadly force, he has a right and an obligation to eliminate the threat. Because let's just say that the police didn't act and they let this individual go who was armed with this cutting weapon, no matter how big it was, and then let's say he went out and stabbed 15 people that were walking around the street of the campus of Georgia Tech. Then it would be another story. Then you would have 15 lawsuits because police had this individual in custody. They could have acted in a way to protect the public, which is the number one function of police, but they didn't because they thought he was maybe mentally ill, so they just let him go. It doesn't work that way, people. It just doesn't. So I want to play just a little bit of the audio that was caught on this uh, cell phone video. Then I want to flip the script and tell you a little bit more about this tragic story. Tragic for everyone, the family, the officer involved, the officer's partner, the officer's family. It's just a tragic situation all around. But let me play a little bit of this audio. Okay, you you heard that, right? So you can hear the individual armed with the knife saying, shoot me, shoot me. And police are still giving commands, drop the knife. So that tells you this individual was probably attempting suicide by cop. But now I want to play the 911 call in its entirety. And then I'll come back and tell you more about this case. George Tech Police, I can help you. Hey, uh, I'm over at West Village. It looks like there's... Oh, there's somebody, like, skulking around outside. Looks like he's got, he's got a knife in his hand. I think he might have a gun on his hip. Okay, West he looks, Village. He looks like he might be drunk or something. Give me a description of you, sir. Um, he's got long blonde hair, white T-shirt, jeans. Long blonde hair, white T-shirt, and jeans. Okay. White male, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, at West Village, where is he? What is he next to? He's, he's just like right across West Village, just on the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. Walking kind of slow. Okay. You want to leave your name in case we got any more questions, sir? Uh, sure. Scott Schultz. Scott. Okay, Scott. Hey, that phone number you calling from? That's right. Okay. Thank you, Scott. We're, we're in route. All right. All right. That was the 911 call that Georgia Tech Police received. And did you hear the name the caller gave? He gave Scout Schultz. And remember, when I first started talking about this shooting, the individual that was shot by Georgia Tech police was Scout Schultz. So, the individual who was shot by police, in case you're not following, was the same one that called 911 on himself. Because, let's be realistic, he wanted to die. 
police later found three suicide notes in his dorm room. It's tragic, tragic, tragic. Again, the officer has to live with this the rest of his life. Schultz's family has to live with this for the rest of their lives. The city right now is burning. They're burning police cars. They're rioting. You got all of this stuff going on, and the only person that won't have to deal with it is the one that's not here. But at the end of the day, again, as I've said, at that exact moment when police got that call that you just listened to, the only information they knew was a man armed with a knife, with long blonde hair, white shirt, blue jeans, and possibly a gun on his hip. They didn't know it was Schultz that called 911 because that information is not relayed during a police call. The only information is relayed is the key information that officers need. I assure you when you get dispatched, they don't say a gentleman by the name of Scout Schultz called and said no. What they do call is, what they do say is, caller states that there's a male white with long blonde hair, blah, 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 and, again, gun, knife. That's all they know. They don't know if a person's mentally ill. They don't know if it's suicide by cop. They only know what they're going to. And police only react the way they are trained to react. So although it's tragic, I don't see that the officers did anything wrong here based on the situation. And for all of these people that are saying, oh, they could have done this, even this attorney that the family has saying that the officer had no crisis training and he overreacted, I dare you to go put on a uniform for 10 minutes and drive around East Atlanta or drive around some of the projects of this country and see how you react when someone has a gun or a knife pointed at you. It's easy to say all that crap when you have no idea what you're talking about. And I assure you, if you were walking down the street and someone came at you with a knife and you were armed with a gun, you would react the same way and you would be justified to do it. So then would you be ready to sue someone? Would you be saying you overreacted? No, you wouldn't. What you'd be saying is, you protected your life, which is your God-given right in this country. All right, I want to switch gears because I can go on and on about that case. Over to St. Louis. Uh, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on my show. There was a an uh, officer back in 2011 that had shot an individual uh, after a, a uh, pursuit. You could hear the... Uh, Officer Jason Stokely, during the pursuit that was caught on his audio of his patrol car, saying he's going to kill this motherfucker, don't you know it. Um, Back up a little bit, police tried to stop the car. Uh, The driver, Anthony Lamar Smith, uh, backed up into the police vehicle, rammed the police vehicle in high speed. Pursuit ensued, and as I said, I didn't agree with the pursuit because looking at the weather conditions... And the speeds they were going, it was just dangerous for everybody. Uh, but at the end of the pursuit, uh, Officer Stokely's partner rams Lamar's car. Uh, they get out, and on the other side of the dash cam, on the driver's side of the car, Stokely shoots uh, Anthony Lamar Smith four times. There was a gun recovered at the scene. This entire case came down to 
when he got charged, Stokely got charged uh, after he left the department. It came down to the fact that uh, it appears Stokely's DNA was the only DNA on the gun recovered. So, of course, prosecutors were saying that the gun was planted by Officer Stokely. Um, it went to trial. Actually, went to a bench trial, which means no jury. The judge looks at all the evidence and then makes a decision. So the judge uh, acquitted Stokely of the murder charges, saying that it was reasonable that someone who deals heroin, I believe there was heroin found in the car, and he had a history of heroin and, and uh, weapons charges, Lamar Smith did. It was reasonable that he would have been armed with a gun. It was reasonable for the officer to believe that once uh, Anthony Lamar Smith started reaching around in the car that he was actually going for a gun. Now, you know, I don't want to Monday morning quarterback the judge's decision or the officer's, officer's decision because I wasn't there. And quite frankly, you can't see what happened inside the car based on the position of the dash cam and based on the position that people were standing when the shooting happened. Now, what I can say, and this is just based on experience, I can see the judge's rationale to say that it is un not unlikely that someone who deals drugs also carries weapons because most people I dealt with that I arrested for drugs, they also had guns. Usually when there's drugs, there's gun. Not saying all the time, but usually when there's drugs, there's guns. That's just been my experience. So I can understand the judge's statement in that uh but what i don't understand outside of that and i understand people are upset i understand the family's upset and keep in mind this shooting happened long before michael brown right this was back in 2011 and it was in st louis so just right outside ferguson what i don't understand is why people are protesting why people are assaulting police why people are setting police cars on fire why antifa is showing up the terrorist group that they are and assaulting police officers and assaulting people because let me just back this up let's think about this here for a second if you're upset that an individual was shot and killed by police and if you're upset that you think police use too much force in the black community, then why would you react in a way where you're going to make police, not because they want to, but because they have to, because you're assaulting them, you're going to make police use force. You're going to make police use pepper spray. You're going to make police draw their weapons on you because you're assaulting them. What is the point? And doing all of that besides making yourself look idiotic. What is the point? Because the things you say you're upset about, you're just bringing more onto yourself by doing this. So 120 people, 120 plus people arrested. Most of those had weapons. A lot of those people are going around damaging property and vandalizing but for what? What is the point? Because 
what have I always said? Crime brings police, not color. Guess what? If you're not out on the streets setting cars on fire, you're not going to encounter police. If you're not out on the street throwing chairs through store windows, you're not going to encounter police. If you're not throwing bricks and bottles of urine at police, guess what? You're not going to encounter police. I don't understand why people decide that they have to drive into these cities, because that's what a lot of these people do, or even the people that are in the cities, oh, let's just tear up the city. For what? What is that proving? Besides that you are an idiot. What does it prove? It proves absolutely nothing. It proves absolutely nothing. The only thing it proves is, like I said, you do a crime and police show up. Those police aren't being racist. They're not taking plight against a black man. It's because you're doing a crime and it is the police's job to police. It is the police's job to keep the public safe. So if you don't want police in your community and you don't want police harassing you, don't do stupid illegal stuff. And guess what? Police won't harass you. It's that simple. And I, I think that's a good segue for my next topic. So uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, a lot of people don't like him. A lot of people hate him. A lot of people say he's a racist. They say Donald Trump's a racist. Everybody in the office is a racist. Truthfully, I think anybody after President Obama, given the fact that they were white, minus Hillary Clinton, they would have said they're a racist. So whatever. Anyway, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, actually revamped the collaborative reform initiative that was uh, put in the office during the Obama administration. And I talked about this on Fox News, the story with Martha McCullum on Monday night, uh, 7 p.m. primetime. Great opportunity. I've been on her show before. It's great anytime a primetime show wants to have you back on. It's, it's really a blessing. But anyway, so the Collaborative Reform Initiative was something that came about during the Obama administration, and it was focused on restoring trust between police and community. And although I think the the concept of it was good, what it ended up being was a finger-pointing, witch-hunting initiative against police because police or citizens were saying, well, we need less use of force in the community. We don't need racial profiling. We don't need police just harassing black people. We don't need this. So it really just became the agenda, the narrative of the left during the Obama administration and while Hillary was trying to get in the office that police were just these evil people and you needed police reform. But AG Sessions says, no, we're revamping this, giving police what they need to target violent criminals. And I couldn't agree more because if I'm a citizen, I really don't care if police are hanging out there because I don't do crime. But what I do care about is if I'm walking down the street and I may get a stray bullet to the noodle because there's this gang that's in Chicago and they're shooting at each other, but they ended up hitting my nine-year-old son. 
or they hit it up, ended up hitting a baby in a stroller like Dwayne Wade's cousin in Chicago or the nine-year-old in Chicago that was lured into an alley by gang members because they were mad at the little boy's dad and they shot him in the head and killed him. If I'm a citizen, I care about those things. I don't care if the police are driving around in my community because I don't do crime. So on Fox News, I was debating with uh, this attorney who happens to be African-American. And, of course, she's Democrat. I think she's running for Congress in her city. And, you know, of course, it was, oh, if you look at what happened in St. Louis and if you look at the race problem, blase, blase, blase. And, you know, I patiently waited and waited my turn. And one of the things that I immediately jumped in, I said, listen. Everyone was pointing fingers at police. No one was talking about the true issue at hand here. It's not police reform. It's crime reform. Because that's why police react the way they do. Because of crime. Police don't wake up every day and say, Hmm, what black man can I go harass today? Hmm, what vehicle can I go chase today? Hmm, what drug dealer can I go get five guns off of? Hmm, no. That's not how it works. Police respond to crime. So I use the example of one of the major cities that we've seen protest in in the last few years, Baltimore. And I said, listen, Baltimore has a square mile of 96, 96 square miles in the city of Baltimore. That's how big it is or little, however you want to look at it. But at the same time, there's 504 crimes per square mile mile that doesn't even fit that's like trying to put a circle in a square it's not gonna work so you got 504 crimes per square mile in a city that's only 96 square miles and a city that has 65 percent african-american so is it really racial profiling is it really police harassing blacks or is it police responding to the overwhelming amount of crime in that city and then I touched on the point about excessive force, which was part of this initiative that people said needed to change in the black community. And I said, listen, let's be honest. While we're talking about police need to use less force, no one's talking and police need to know how to deescalate. No one's talking about how to teach the public to deal with police. The word compliance, the word compliance, because if you comply with police, you don't get hurt. Listen, before I was a cop, I got stopped a few times by police. I never got hurt, never got shot. Yes, sir. No, sir. I need your license. Here you go, sir. Here's your registration. Don't move. Okay, sir. I won't move. It's that simple. When I was a cop, I got stopped by police. You think they knew I was a cop before I told them or before they saw my badge? No. But when they said, hey, Keep your hand on the steering wheel for me. Cool. After I became, after I got off the department, I've been stopped by police. I've been stopped by police while armed after being a police officer. You think I got shot? You think I got hurt? You think I got yanked out the vent window? No, because I complied with the officer's commands. So it's easy for all of these people that are brainwashed and blinded by this narrative of the left and the Obama administration that 
police are out to get the black man, it's easy for them to say we need reform on excessive force. We need reform on police just swarming the black community. But if you want to look at demographics, nobody wants to have that conversation. If you want to look at how certain societies, certain communities act towards the police, nobody wants to hear that. It's always the police's fault. But when this attorney general, Jeff Sessions, comes in and changes his law, oh, it's racist. Oh, it's racist. Oh, it's just another way to get at black people. No, it's another way for police to do what they're supposed to do. And I agree. Jeff Sessions said the federal government should not mandate or dictate how local city, local, which has nothing to do with the federal government, should not mandate or dictate how they do their jobs. And it's true. It's true. It was because of the Obama administration, if we want to be honest, why crime in Chicago skyrocketed, why it's still skyrocketed in Baltimore and Ferguson and St. Louis. It wasn't because of racist cops. No, 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 no. It was because of an administration that wanted to restrict cops from doing what they could and then you had officers not wanting to do their jobs because they didn't want to be the next person on CNN. They didn't want to be the next person going to trial for doing their job and for trying to protect the community. But because we want to appease a certain population, now I'm in trouble. Now I'm the bad guy. Now I'm the racist. Now I'm this. It's just like the Georgia Tech shooting. You have a white man shot by white police. And people are rioting because now the police are just these evil people. This is the mentality that we are now at because of the last eight years of office. And now that Donald Trump wants to restore law and order, now that Attorney, attorney uh, General Jeff Sessions wants to restore law and order, all of a sudden it's racist. All of a sudden, nobody wants to hear it. All of a sudden, People think we're reverting back to 1960, 1950. We're not reverting. We're trying to progress. And the only way this country can progress is if we fight crime. If we fight crime. That's if North Korea doesn't drop the missile on us, which they're planning to do, which is another reason I don't understand why people are at odds with each other and blaming police and doing this and doing that while we got this little short dude over in North Korea ready to push a button that will take all of us out. To me, those are the important issues, not whether police showed up and they did their job and they did it lawfully and they did it legally and they did it by the book, but yet they're still the bad guy. I really wish this country would wake up. I really wish people would take a step back, not believe what they see in mainstream media, not listen to CNN, not listening to Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Jerome Jackson, Michael Jackson, whoever, and just take a step back, listen for yourself, understand for yourself, and learn for yourself. And I assure you, there'd be quite a bit of people if they actually did that. There'd be quite a bit of people who would change their mind. 
In fact, I was having this conversation with someone the other day who was a black man, and we were, they were talking about the shooting and of Georgia Tech. And uh, I can't remember exactly where I was. And I said, listen, man, I said, I've done that job. And I said, listen, oh, he could have shot him in the leg. I said, first of all, if I shoot you in the leg right now, you can still run at me. Yeah, I guess you got a point. And I said, and if you stab me, I'm probably going to die. So if I shoot you in the leg and you still run at me and stab me, I'm still dead. And I said, and let me switch it around. If you're in that situation and you're not a cop and someone comes at you to kill you, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to kill him. Right. Now, would that make you a racist or would that make you a human being that was protecting his life? And he went silent. He couldn't say anything. So that's what I wish people would do. Learn this stuff for yourself. Rationalize for yourself. Don't look at a 30-second video and just assume you know what the heck is going on because you don't. You don't know what happened before. You don't know what happened during. You don't know what happened after. You just assume that you know because you heard it on mainstream media. All right, it's the unfortunate part of my show, the 10-7 segment. And tonight's officer, I want to recognize Deputy Sheriff Robert French, Sacramento County Sheriff's Department, Sacramento, California. End of watch, August 30th, 2017. Deputy Sheriff Bob French was shot and killed outside of a Ramada Inn in the 2600 block of Auburn Boulevard while conducting an auto theft investigation at approximately 10.30 a.m. 10.30 in the morning, people. Members of the Sacramento Sheriff's Office Auto Task Force had just taken two women into custody following a pursuit of a stolen vehicle they had observed leaving a hotel. Task Force investigators returned to the hotel room to search it based on the offender's searchable probation status. As two of the members of the task force knocked on the room's door and announced themselves, a male subject inside opened fire with a rifle wounding two California Highway Patrol investigators. The man continued to exchange shots with members of the task force before jumping from the balcony. As he moved from the back to the front of the hotel, he continued to exchange shots with officers. Deputy French had responded to the scene and engaged the subject with gunfire as the man attempted to enter another stolen vehicle. One of the man's rounds went through Deputy French's patrol car and a fragment struck him in the area not protected by his vest. Despite being mortally wounded, Deputy French continued to engage the subject to allow other officers to seek cover. The man was able to flee in the stolen car, leading officers on a pursuit before crashing. He exchanged shots with officers again before being taken into custody. The man later died from his wounds sustained during the multiple shootouts. Deputy French had served with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department for 21 years and was assigned to the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office Auto Task Force. He is survived by his children, grandchildren, and his sister. My prayers to Deputy French. I thank you, sir, for 21 years of service. I thank you for paying the ultimate sacrifice and I want to go back to this one part. The man later died from his wounds sustained during multiple shootouts. That proves what I said earlier in the show, and it proves 
to everyone, and I wish you would shut up about it if you shoot someone that the threat is automatically gone. No, this man died after being shot multiple times and still getting in a car and still going on a pursuit and still doing all of this. He was shot multiple times before he died. So don't just assume because police shoot someone once that the threat is eliminated. That means don't assume that you can shoot them in the leg or the arm. Don't assume because someone gets tased that they drop immediately. Don't assume because someone gets pepper sprayed that the fight is over. It's not always the case. Learn it for yourself. I want to thank you for listening, and I will see you right here next week on RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>